are always good to us. You are a good God, and you grant us whatever is good, and we're thankful for that. And God, now as we turn our attention to your word, we pray you'd be with us, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, uh, we're continuing in our series on this book that the Apostle Paul has written to the church in Colossae, beginning at verse 24 today, whether you have it on your tablet, your iPad, or the book. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of the body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is in Christ for you the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom, so we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Serving God is hard. Serving God is hard. Sometimes you're serving God in whatever capacity it is, and you've been offering a whole bunch of stuff, your time, energy, You've been helping in a variety of capacities, and as you've done that, you feel under As you've done that, people that are being assisted by you, people that you're helping, people that you're walking alongside, never offer any type of appreciation, never seem to notice. And sometimes as you serve, you can feel unappreciated, you can feel unnoticed. Sometimes it's hard because there's someone you've walked alongside, you've come alongside of someone, I've had this happen a number of times in my life, you pour your life into them, you disciple them, you teach them the ways of the Lord, you encourage them in their faith, you pray for them, you give up hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of your time, offering your life into theirs. And then at some point, they just simply renounce their faith, and they walk away from the Lord. And you're like, what happened? I mean, what, what went on there? What occurred that they simply decided to renounce their faith, that they simply decided to walk away from the Lord, and all of that time and effort and energy seemed for naught. Sometimes you have competing priorities. Sometimes as you're wanting to serve the Lord, you're also trying to figure out your kids, or aging parents, or life-work balance, or you name it. And sometimes that is incredibly challenging to figure out what that looks like. Sometimes you're unsure of your gifts. You're like, well, I'd like to serve the Lord, but I don't even know what my gifts are. I don't know what gifted me. I'm not sure as to what that looks like. I'm not sure, Lord as to what my gifts even are and how I should serve you in that capacity. And sometimes it's just overwhelming. Just overwhelming. I got a call Thursday because a, a woman whose family lives in our community had suffered a brain aneurysm a month ago. They called to see if I could get into the hospital to pray with her before they unplugged the machines. She'd never gain consciousness again. So they asked if I could go in. I'm a chaplain with the Hamilton Health Science Corporation, so... I called to see if they would let me in and let three people into that portion of the ICU, even though that's not protocol. But because I'm a chaplain with the Hamilton Health Science Corporation, I count as a, as a guest in the room. So I went in, I, I went there, but I remember like Friday, 
And then Saturday, as I'm going there for noon, I'm praying, Lord, this is just overwhelming. Stay in this moment. They're going to unplug this woman's machine later she's going to pass on, having never known you. God, what, what do I say that I semblance of comfort? What do I do in this moment, God? I don't know why I'm clicking. I know you're all trying to figure it out. I'm trying to say still, but I'm, I don't say still that well. Overwhelming, because as you choose to serve the Lord, oh, we're going to all switch everything here. As you uh, serve the Lord, uh, you end up in this overwhelming moment of what that looks like. Did you hear what he said? It's his privilege to serve. And so Paul calls himself a servant, a servant of the gospel. And in verse 24, he says this, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. This is a highly debated verse. Very contested. What in the world is Paul talking about? First, he says, I'm suffering for you. Now, we know that Paul's in prison. Paul is in prison for the gospel as he's been serving the Lord. He's in prison for sharing the gospel. He's in prison for telling people about Christ. He's in prison for those purposes. That's why he's there. And he says, I'm filling up in my flesh, in my imprisonment, in my suffering. And I listed some of his sufferings last week where he's been shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and whipped and flogged. What is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? What in the world does that mean? What could be lacking in Christ's afflictions? I mean, we know he's just gone through in the first part of Colossians. And because the Colossian heresy, which is uh, uh, a, a synchronistic heresy, a twofold one that both is including Jewish custom and culture with pagan custom and culture. We, we know that Paul's already said Christ is enough. We don't need anything other than Jesus. He is simply enough. And in him, the fullness of deity resides. Paul went to great lengths to explain who Christ is as the second Adam, who was the pre-incarnate Adam, of whom the earthly Adam is imaged after. That was a couple of weeks ago. If you don't know what I just said, go back and listen to it. And as the Apostle Paul goes to great lengths in Colossians to talk about who Christ is as the second person of the triune God, he now says that in regard to his afflictions, he's filling up what's lacking. What in the world? Because he's already said Christ lacks nothing. Now, now, some people would say what Paul's saying, and this is unique to Paul, is because he is the apostle to the Gentiles, because Christ mainly talked to and dealt with Jews, and Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, that where Paul's suffering was on behalf of everyone, but in terms of an earthly ministry to the Jews, that, that where Jesus' ministry was that, sorry, that Paul's ministry is to the Gentiles, and so it's filling up, if you will, what Christ did not do in his earthly ministry, not in terms of his accomplished work on the cross, but in terms of just his geographic ministry. And so it's unique to Paul that way. John Piper says this. This is very helpful. This is Paul bringing 
the gift to the nations, filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. This doesn't mean something was added to Christ's atonement by Paul. It means that in Paul's own missionary sufferings, he was displaying and transmitting the sufferings of Christ to the nations. He was telling them in his message and his body, here is what Jesus did. Here is the complete atoning afflictions of Christ. Paul completed Jesus' afflictions by transmitting them. They have zero effect on lost people until they are known, until they are seen, until they are believed, until they are loved. Here is the shocking implication for missions that I've discovered. Paul really does mean that his own sufferings are the means by which people taste and see the sufferings of Christ. That's an excellent explanation. What Paul's saying, the apostle, is now that Christ is gone, and people are trying to understand the accomplished work of Christ and what it means when they see me as I become like Christ, they'll see his accomplished work. They'll see in my sufferings the sufferings of Jesus. They'll see in my life what it means to follow him. And as I then am declaring the gospel to people around me who don't know Christ, they are able to see and taste Jesus and as they see and taste him in me, it will be a witness of which they will be able to believe in him. That's a powerful word. As you serve the Lord, can people taste and see Jesus in you? As you serve the Lord, do people taste and see Jesus in you? They see him even serve him. I mean, Hebrews tells us that we've been saved to serve. It's one of the primary reasons God has saved us. And as you serve the Lord, at times you face difficulties, at times you face challenges, at times you even face suffering. Do people taste and see Jesus through you? Do they see that you've taken up your cross to follow Christ? That's what Jesus says, right? Take up your cross and follow me. I said this last week. No one in Jesus' day when they heard that heard, oh, put on a little necklace. They heard, I am to follow to my death because the cross was simply a torturous form of execution. When Jesus says, take up my cross and follow me, everyone thought this. If I'm to follow Jesus and I'm to take up my cross to follow Jesus, I am going to die for Jesus. That's it. When your life was given to Christ, is that what you thought? When your life was given to Jesus, is that what you thought? When you heard that you are to be one that takes up your cross to follow Christ, you think, okay, I'm to follow him to my death. I'm to follow him even to my death. That is my calling. Do people taste and see the accomplished work of Christ in you? Can they say of you, there's no explanation for who you are, none, except Jesus Christ himself in you? There's no explanation for who you are. There's no explanation for how you live. There's no explanation for how you sacrifice. Except this. Jesus Christ is in you. And so verse 25, I've become a servant. It's by the commission of God that God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Paul says, I'm a servant. The term servant means one who carries a task or one who carries a message of another. One who carries a task of another, one who carries a message of another. Paul says, 
I'm a servant, and he does both. I carry the task of my Lord, and I carry the message of my Lord. I am a servant by the commission God gave me, and I serve in this specific capacity to present you the word of God in its fullness. I'm here to declare to you the word of God. I'm here to share with you the word of God in its fullness. Paul's not ashamed of the word of God. It is life-giving. The word of God is what God has granted us. It's authoritative. It's his word to us. He's granted us this. And he says, I want to declare it to you in fullness. In fullness. Then he says this. It's the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations. Now disclosed to the Lord's people. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 6 when he's talking about service. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distress, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in hard work, in sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, in understanding, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness, in the right and in the left, in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Could you write that? Could you say that's my Christian experience? That's, that's who I am in Christ. Oh yeah, people have at times, they've, they've judged my motives incorrectly. They think I'm just serving in this capacity so that I can get ahead, so I can be noticed. Oh, I'm serving the Lord. They've called me an imposter, and that's not true. They, could you say this? And I keep on serving for Christ. I keep on serving for Christ. Earlier in the message, as I introduced it, I know there's challenges to service. Some of the challenges are not knowing our giftedness. Some of the challenges are are, are, are sometimes limitations on time. Some of the challenges include discouragement. We've been walking along someone and they just kind of walk away from the Lord and renounce their faith. But there is great delight. Can, can I say this? In life, you will find no greater delight than these two things. In life, you will find no greater delight than these two things. The first is leading someone to faith in Christ. The first is having the privilege of being involved in someone's life and sharing the gospel with them and seeing their eyes open to the saving knowledge of Christ. Walking with them in a way that you see God using you, you feel his spirit in you speaking to them. You see you watch God open their eyes. And the other is this, encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ having coffees with them, talking with them, walking alongside of them. And as you do so, God uses you in their lives, sometimes as the word of God is used to encourage, sometimes to rebuke, sometimes to correct. And them in your life. And all of a sudden, as you're connected in that way, you realize there's God at work. I'm sensing God at work. Because our lives are to revolve around his kingdom. We're created by God and for God. And that means that our eyes need to be lifted from this plane to another. So that as God is working in and through us, we realize, wow, there's nothing, nothing, there's no greater priority ever in my life than his kingdom. 
But when we live our life way down here, and we never cast our eyes up there, and our life simply becomes about us and our narcissistic day of job and life and home and the next flick, you know, thing, show that we want to watch and purge watch for three weeks, when that's what we do, we've missed out on the kingdom. Totally missed out on the kingdom. And then people come to me and say, I, you know, I, I sense no joy in walking with the Lord. I'm like, well, are you really walking with the Lord? Like, are you truly walking with him? Like, when was the last time you had this gospel center conversation? Do your employers know that you're here for Christ? Do your employees know that you're following him? The people around you see Jesus in and through you or not? I mean, you can do good works and help lots of people and never do it in Jesus' name. My sister's an amazing person, not a believer. She does all kinds of good works. She was caring for someone who was completely incapacitated, and as she cared for this woman, she had a son who also struggles immensely. And my sister said, well, one day if you pass on, we'll take care of your son. I don't know if it's four years ago now, five. She passed on. So this son that will never be able to move out of my sister's house lives with them. She cares greatly for them. Yeah, I mean, you can do lots of just good things and never do them in Jesus' name. Just be a nice person. But that's not what this is. I mean, if you ever talk about volunteering for church, stop. When we're asking people to help out next week, I'm not asking you to volunteer. I'm asking you to serve the Lord. We're asking you to serve Jesus. We should never be talking about serving the church. Not, 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 not in the sense of, uh, or volunteering, sorry, in the church. Not, not in the sense of, of, of I'm putting in my time like someone does for a club or an organization. We're serving Jesus. When we come to the back and I see all those people trying to figure out my microphone, they're serving Jesus. When people are downstairs with our kids right now, they're serving Jesus. That's what this should all be about. And Paul's very clear. I'm serving the Lord. I'm his servant. He says it multiple times, not just in this gospel, but all through his epistles, or this epistle, but all through his epistles. And he says what? So the word of God can be declared in its fullness because the mystery of Christ that was kept hidden for ages is now disclosed. One of the reasons why we think understanding the word of God is so important, it's one of the reasons why last fall we brought in Dr. Don Carson who came in for a full day at Philpott and did a whole day on the enduring authority of the Christian scriptures. We want you to be able to understand the word of God in its fullness, unapologetically. This is God's word to us. That is great news. And we can know it. His spirit can reveal things to us. It's exciting. Every time we open to the pages of this book, it is God's word speaking to us. God's spirit can open our eyes to understand it. That's why right now on Sunday nights, I'm running this six-week course on scripture. So we can dig in, have a better understanding of who God is, what he's revealed to us, how we understand scripture. And in its fullness, because we'll admit, sometimes it's hard to understand. Even the verse I read today, what does that mean? You have to dig into it a bit. You have to understand that. So this is the mystery that was kept hidden and is now disclosed, verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is this mystery? 
Well, it started in Genesis, right? The mystery. Adam and Eve chose to sin. Adam and Eve chose to rebel. And in the curse, God says what? In Genesis 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and I will put uh, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. That's the beginning of the mystery. One day he says to the serpent, you are going to strike at the heel of the offspring of this woman, but the woman is going to be able to crush your head with the woman's offspring. And they knew that was messianic. They knew that was speaking of Christ's coming. In Ephesians 3, Paul says this, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which has now been made known to people in other, which was, sorry, not made known to people in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit of God, holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. The mystery is this, that God called a people to himself. And then through his son, he's calling all peoples to himself. It is great news that it's not just for the Jew, it's also for the Gentile. And the promises that were true of them are true for us because we are now heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. I mean, when they were reading this in the Old Testament, and again, Messianic, Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. I mean, that could be about many people, right? Mighty God, well, who is this? Everlasting Father, who is this of which Isaiah speaks? The Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Who is this? He will reign on David's throne, the greatest of kings, and over his kingdom, which means he's the king above the king. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, and from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel. Well, that's fine. Whose origins are from old, from ancient of days. And so all of a sudden, as the Israelites are reading these verses, and many, many more, they're understanding Messiah is going to come. Christ is going to come. He's going to show up. At some point in history, Christ, Messiah, is going to break in. They believed that. But they couldn't understand. They couldn't comprehend. How will he crush the serpent's head? How is he mighty, everlasting father? How is he almighty God? How is he from ancient of days? Who is this of whom the scriptures speak? And it's Jesus of Nazareth, the second person of the triune God, who cloaked his deity with humanity and came down. And they were looking at it as the mystery, and we get to see it as disclosed, praise his name. We're on the other side of it, awaiting his second coming. He's going to return, awaiting his imminent second return. When the clouds will part and the trump will sound and he will descend. It is the mystery of Christ that has now been disclosed. And on the cross, when Satan thought he was winning, and he finally called out, it is finished. He crushed 
the serpent's head. And three days later, the power of the Father raised him to life again because he'd never sinned. He'd never done anything wrong. And in that moment, Satan knew he was done. Though he's been given some freedom still now. But the day will come when Christ returns that Satan will be cast into the burning lake of sulfur. Is that not great news? This is the mystery of Christ. And it's either the most foolish thing in the universe or it's the truth of God itself. That's your choice. Except your choice won't change it. You choosing not to believe that Christ is the mystery of God revealed won't change that he's the mystery of God revealed. You choosing not to believe it or live by it won't prove what God has done to be ineffective. What he's done is effective. What he's accomplished is full. And so on the other side, we know the mystery of Christ. We understand the promises of God. And it's true to this day. As I sat with that family yesterday, what did I offer them? Hope. Hope. What is hope? Hope for anyone who believes, hope for anyone who turns, hope for anyone who trusts, there is hope. At any time, at any place, for anyone who discerns to trust Christ, there is hope. Peace. That this relationship that we have with God that's broken, it can be mended. God can do that. Joy. That even in the moment of death, God can grant us a joy knowing that he is the one who fulfills all things satisfies our very soul. What I offered to them was the only thing I had, Jesus Christ himself. As we go to our jobs, see our neighbors, involved with our family, or if you're like D, that you heard a couple of weeks ago, going to serve in a remote area of the world with people that are incredibly lost, we declare Christ. The word of God in its fullness. The mystery of God revealed, disclosed. And as we suffer, they should see Jesus in us. They should see Jesus in us. And have no explanation for who we are or what we're doing. Except Christ is there. Verse 28. And so he's the one we proclaim. We admonish and we teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with the, all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What does he say? So he's the one we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus. We got nothing. I got nothing. I've got Jesus. He's all I've got. I remember Tim Keller at one time saying, it's quoted, it's, I may not get it exactly, but you don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. It's a great quote. You don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And so he's the one we proclaim to the world that needs him, but also admonishing and teaching everything with all, everyone with all wisdom. It, it's not just for the lost world, it's for each other. Paul says, I'm also teaching and admonishing believers. I'm also coming alongside of others and explaining the gospel to them. I mean, what we all need every day is the gospel. Is that not true? 
I need the gospel every day. I need the good news of the gospel every day. On my highest days and on my lowest days. On the days when everything is going well. I might get in trouble for this later. And, oh yeah. But, and on the days when two of my kids who are coming to church don't show up. And I was told I'm, when I go home I need to deal with it. We'll deal with it together. You can warn them, send them a text, it's fine. Derek, you can do it right now. He just got mentioned in the sermon, watch out. Um, but but on, on both of those days, right? On the days when everything seems to be going well, on, on the days when everything seems to be collapsing, on days when I feel like God's energy is just flowing through me, on days when I'm wondering where he is because he feels absent, I need the gospel. And Paul says, this is what we proclaim because it's what the world needs and it's what we need. And so we teach and admonish. That's always internal to the church. That's always disciple to disciple. We teach and admonish everyone with all wisdom so that we can all be made mature in Christ. We can grow in our faith and knowledge of him. We can stand firm and established in what we've been taught. We can understand who God is, who we are, how we relate to him, and how we encourage each other in that. Acts 8 says this, as you hear about the apostles and their declaration, proclamation of the gospel. For some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. So he had demonic power. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. The power of God can break any power. And it's through the word of God, in its fullness and declaration. You may remember the parable that Jesus tells of Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus uh, is there. He's in heaven. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible twist in it because typically in, in any culture, in anywhere in the world, the rich man would be named and the poor beggar would be unnamed. But in the parable, the beggar is named Lazarus. Now in glory, in Abraham's bosom, the rich man is unnamed. And the rich man says, would you send Lazarus back so that my family, with his resurrection, coming back and warning them, my family would believe and not end up where I am. And what, is, what does Abraham say in this parable Jesus tells? They have the law and the prophets. They will not believe even if he comes back to the dead. And what's Jesus saying? The word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword and able to quicken any heart and soul. It is so true. That's why we need the word of God in its fullness. That's why we continue to teach and admonish each other until we all reach the fullness of maturity in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, as you proclaim the gospel, Paul says this, as it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom, or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. We proclaim him to the world and to each other unapologetically. And note this. I strenuously contend. Does that sound like it's easy? You ever done anything strenuously? Challenged? 
difficult. This is a spiritual battle. This is the enemy at work longing to distract us from God. This is our own sinful nature waging war against us. This is the world telling us we've lost our minds. I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That's a dependence. God, I need you. God, I can't raise my kids without you. God, I can't be a witness to my neighbors without you. God, I, I, I can't talk to my brother or sister in Christ without you. I don't know what to say. In my own life, God, I can't show up to this hospital visit without you. God, I can't. What in the world am I going to say? What do I have to offer? I've only got you. So I'm going to proclaim you. That's all I've got, God. I've just got you. I'm going to proclaim you to unbelievers who don't know you yet, believing that they need to turn to you. I'm going to proclaim you to other believers, believing that you're the one they need so they can reach fullness in you. I'm going to proclaim you, and I'm going to do so with the very energy you grant because, God, I got nothing on my own. You know, when you try to serve the Lord out of your own strength, you will find yourself exasperated and overwhelmed. You'll be running on empty. You need the Holy Spirit of God to grant you a fullness day by day. You need God's Spirit to be the one that's energizing you, that's working through you, that's granting you the ability to serve. The Lord. So that as other people look at you, they see that you're serving him. I don't know what our survey is going to look like this week, but we're going to send out some type of survey that's going to be inviting you as we move to two services to tell us kind of what, when you're going to come, how you might help, and where you might, or who you might invite. And it's funny for me, like, I wrote these verses and passages, I didn't write the verses, but the passages that I'd be preaching out months ago. And last Sunday and this Sunday is when I'm preaching these two sermons. And I think, well, Lord, you've got a way about you, don't you? I didn't know we'd be going to two services. I didn't know these were the two Sundays that these passages where Paul talks about him serving the Lord would land. I had no clue. But isn't God brilliant in the way he pulls things together? He can orchestrate things we can never orchestrate. You know, in my human wisdom, what I would have wanted to do is been like, oh, a few weeks ago, like, oh, man, we're going to move to two services, and I'm preaching on the deity of Christ, and so, man, let's, let's see if I can flip some passages. Let's just take Colossians out of order. Well, I didn't have to do it, because God chose to put it all in order and orchestrate the very Sundays I'd be speaking on it. And to that, I can simply say, thanks be to God. And so I thought, you know, when we put out the survey, how honest do we be? Like, when it comes to the serving portion, do we put out a portion that says, you know, you know, here are the places we need some help to make this work. Number A, um, hey, I'm already serving the Lord in some capacity at the church and don't have any more capacity right now. You know, so sorry, which is fine, right? Or B, right, I'm serving the Lord in some other areas right now, caring for aging parents, like whatever that would look like. And man, even though I want you right now, I'm at capacity, get that. Or C, I want to serve. Here's the area. Or D, um, I want to serve. I don't know my gifts. Will someone weep with me to help me? Or E, my heart's pretty hard right now. I don't want to serve in any capacity. I just want people to serve me. Now, <laughs> Jose really liked that. I'm not going to probably be allowed to put that on the survey this week. I'm sure someone's going to override that. 
But there's a part of me that goes, wouldn't that be great to know? That some people can just be honestly say, I'm just not in a good place. And maybe it's the same when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel. When it comes to the third question of who I'll invite, and there'll be like an A of, man, Pastor, glad you asked that. I've been having these gospel-centered conversations with these friends and colleagues of mine. I've been praying for them faithfully and diligently, and, and I can't wait to be invited and pray with me as I invite this person this person. Or B, man, I want to be having gospel-centered conversations with people. I don't do it very well. Would someone meet with me to help me figure out how to do that? Or C, I've been having these gospel-centered conversations, but I'm terrified to invite them somewhere. Would you be praying for me as I do that? Or D, man, I don't really care if anybody's going to hell. I know I should, but I don't. Because I don't live like I do. Now, again, I don't think I'm going to be allowed to put that on a survey. But I'd like to. And just see where we're at. Because what happens is this. When we live our lives in a paradigm that somehow we think we're volunteering and somehow we can't see above this earthly plane and we've forgotten what God has done, that this is about the mystery of Christ disclosed, that this is about Jesus coming down, that this is about my lostness and being found, that this is about my despair and being granted hope. And we forget what this is about. And we forget that as we proclaim the word of God in its fullness, that those who don't know Christ can come to Christ because God will save. And those who know Christ can be encouraged in the Lord. And we forget that it's him whom we serve, our master, both in declaration, proclamation, and with hands in service. That we fill up his sufferings. Because as people see us, they taste and see him. When we forget all of that, we just end up in this really mundane place where we're like, Ugh, why are they asking me to do more stuff at church? Rather than, Lord, Lord, how would you have me serve you? And my prayer for each of us is that our hearts would just cry out, Lord, how would you have me serve you? And you know what I pray? Amy, you guys can come up. I pray that some of you will send me an email and say, hey, Dwayne, man, I'd love to help with the nursery, but, you know, we've been bubbling with some of our neighbors, and as we've been bubbling with some of our neighbors, God's been really at work, and we're going to bring them to church, and they're going to be sitting with us, and I'm going to be praying for you as you preach, and so I don't feel like right now I can serve in that capacity because my service is going to be to them, and I'm going to say amen. And I'm praying that some of you will say, Dwayne, you know, it's my colleague at work. I've been, I've been having these conversations with them and blah, 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 blah. Or, or you might email me and say, Dwayne, it's my ailing parents. I've just seen the Lord has just called me to just walk alongside of my ailing parents right now. And so I don't have the capacity to do this. And we will just say amen. But to some, oh, my prayer is that they'll be praying and thinking this week about the, how the Lord would have them be used of him. And because of his great work in their life, they'll say, oh God, I long to be a Christian who feels your energy flow through me as I serve so that I never see my life as something that's full of volunteering, but rather service to my king. And oh God, would you have me be so worthy? Would I ever even suffer in a way that as I proclaim Christ the world around me that I would fill up the very sufferings of Christ's 
so that they would taste and see through my humble Christ-likeness that the Lord indeed is good. Pray with me. We are thankful for your word. It is rich. It is true. Oh, God, help us to live it out. We ask in Jesus' name.